0: Alright, good morning. If you have your Bible with you, open to the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth. It's in the Old Testament. It's right after the book of Judges. So we are going to be beginning a four-week series in the book of Ruth. And I think this is one of my favorite books of the Bible. Actually, I'm really excited to teach through this for the next four weeks. Uh, because what it demonstrates is someone who is absolutely faithful in the midst of incredibly difficult times. And so the, the question for this morning is, why do bad things happen to good people? Like, why is there suffering in the world? Why do bad things happen to people who, like, like for like us, like, we're like I'm a good person. Why does this happen to me? And the reality is, is when you're going through hard times, you've, you may have heard the answer, like, from a, a sarcastic or a arrogant guy's, like, well, listen, there are no good people. I'm like, well, that's not helpful if I'm, like, Sick, You know, It's like, I'm going through a hard time and, like, someone's like, well, there's no good people, so really that's a bad question. I'm like, why don't you shut up? How about that? Like, like if you, like, and so, and so the, the truth is, like, like, we do go through hard stuff, right? We go through incredibly difficult times, and so the question is, is why does that happen? Why does that happen? And the book of Ruth, especially this first chapter, begins to unravel or, or, or reveal the answer to this for us. And so if you have the Bible in front of you, and if you grabbed one at the doors as you were walking in, that's, uh, if you don't have one at home, that's yours to keep. Uh, but if you do have one, just leave it here so we can use it uh, next week. But we're going to be in Ruth chapter 1. And here's what it says. During the time of the judges, there was a famine in the land. And a man left Bethlehem and Judah with his wife and two sons to stay in the territory of Moab for a while. And the man's, son, man's name was Elimelech, and his wife name, wife's name was Naomi. And the, the name of his sons were Malon and Killian, and they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. And they entered the fields of Moab and settled there. And Naomi's husband, Elimelech, died, and she was left with her two sons. Her sons took Moabite women as their wives, and one was named Orpah, and the second was named Ruth. And after they lived in Moab about ten years, both Mahlon and Killian died, and Naomi was left without her two children and without her husband. Let's pray, and then we'll continue on. So, Father, we come before you. We thank you for your word. And we thank you for uh, the story of Ruth, um, in which you um, have put it in people to write this down, to where we can have a history of people who, are, who demonstrated great faithfulness to you in the, in the midst of really hard times. And so I pray that we'd be encouraged by that this morning, God. And I pray that you would speak to us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let's go back up to the first verse. Here's what it says. During the time of the judges. Why don't you turn your page back just one, one page back. I want to show you a characterization of this time. So what that means is, in the period of Israel's history, after they were slaves in Egypt. They were, they were brought out into the promised land, and then they had a leader named Joshua who kind of led them. After he died, there was a period of political instability within the nation, okay? So they were in the promised land, but the reality is, is once, they got, once they got there, life was not as great as they thought it would be. And so... And so P, there was a, a process of, like, people rebelling from God and turning away from God, and then so God would bring judgment upon them, and then they would turn their hearts and cry out to God and say, God, where are you? We need you to save us. And so he would send a judge to go and bring stability to the nation and and uh, basically kill off or, or, or ward out the, the enemies, like na- mostly the Philistines. Uh, and and so like he would he would push them out of the nation and so they'd kind of go on an incline have have some peace for a few years and then that guy would die and uh, and they were usually not terrible I mean not great people and then they would do into that into that process again and so they would start rebelling against God again, and they've got to bring judgment upon them from the Philistines or someone else, and then they would cry out to God, saying, God, please save us, please save us, and so they would bring another judge to bring political stability for a little bit longer. That was that process, but there was a refrain throughout the entire book of Judges, and this is what I want you to see. Look at the very last verse in the book of Judges, and this is a constant refrain from from chapters 17 through through 21. Here's what it says in verse 25. It's not going to be on the screen. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did whatever seemed right to him. That is the characterization of life during the judges. There was no king to bring about righteousness or stability within the within their nation, and so it created a sense of anarchy, to where everyone did what was right with like a, whatever was right in their own eyes. And so if you read the book of Judges, there were a lot of really horrible things that happened. Women being attacked regularly, like, like people, like, like priests being like, horrible. And that was, the, that was their time. And so you turn back to the book of Ruth, and it's saying, hey, listen, it's during that time in which the whole nation is characterized by rebelling against God and being unfaithful to God and kind of a sense of anarchy. There were these people. There were these people who lived in the middle of that, who who were trying to follow God. And so where this book is heading is it's in in the in-between point between the judges and when the king comes. And the question is, is where did that king come from? And so in a sense, this book is highlighting the greatest king in Israel's history, who's David, by demonstrating the faithfulness of his ancestors. And so, and so let's look at the book of Ruth. So that's the time period that this is in, of people who are just characterized by running away from God, and they are here trying to follow him. And so let's look here. And there's, during the time of Judges, there was a problem. There was a famine in the land. There was a famine in the land. So life happened. So back then, everything was agrarian. And if there's a famine, it means you don't have food. If there's no food, that means there's no economy. Everything is going horribly for the people in this nation, and that's affecting everyone. It's not just affecting one family, like the good people or not the bad people or whatever. It's Everyone's affected by it, but there's a family who's trying to follow God in the middle of living in this life, and there's a famine, and it affects their community, and so look what they do. A man left Bethlehem, which is a small village uh, in, in Israel. It's, it's a small village. It's where they're from in Judah. And he left Bethlehem with his wife and two sons to stay in a neighboring territory called Moab. It a different country for a little while. And the man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi. And the name of his two sons were Malon and Kilion, and they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. And they entered the fields of Moab and settled there. This family... They were Ephrathites from Judah. They were part of God's people. Like, they were like, man, they are, like, committed. They're following God. Like, they have the heritage of, like, having a, being a family from God. And this, 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 not judgment, but this horrible time, this time of suffering, this time of famine comes upon them just like it comes upon their whole community. And so, for them, they're probably wrestling with this question, like, we're trying to follow God. Like, we, we are trying to do this. Why is this happening to us? Like, why is God allowing, like, us to be hungry and us to worry about whether we're going to feed our kids this week? And so look what happens. Look what they do. They start to take action, and so they become refugees. Look what they do. They need to find food. There's no food. There's political instability in their nation. And, and so, and so there's, they, they need food. They need resources. They probably need work. And so they, say, they start to migrate. They're trying to figure out where can we go just to where a family can, like, be be fed. That's all we care about. And so they start to migrate away, and they settle in a place— called Moab. And so the reality is no one wants to be a refugee. Like, like, like no one, like, like thinks like refugee status. I think I want to be that. Like, like, no, everyone wants to be home. Like you want to be like in your home country with your home culture, with your, with with the Mexican food that you like at Chewy's. Like you want to be like at, like where you're at, where you grew up, right? Like no one chooses to like, to have like horrible circumstances happen in your life that forces you to leave the country and go somewhere else to try to find work and learn another language. And so so this is happening to them. and, And many people, there are actually many people in our church who've experienced this. But for those of us who have not, imagine all of a sudden today, there's no more rain. All of a sudden, all the restaurants... Start can't get any more food in chilies, can't get any more uh whatever they rice, whatever they sell. I can't think about chilies right now. I don't know why. They can't sell hamburgers anymore, okay? No more food there, okay? There's no more food at Arby's, no more food at Whataburger. All of a sudden you can't find food anywhere because there's no more there's no more food. So there was a mass run on all the grocery stores, just like when the ice storm's coming through and all the bread aisles gone at Walmart. Like everything is happening. There's no more food. You can't buy anywhere. And then all of a sudden, you start realizing, we need, to, we need to figure this out because there's no food. I've only got like half an acre of land or a quarter of an acre of land. I can't like create a farm here for my family. And so like you're like, man, this is not working. Then there's a run on the gas stations because everyone's trying to get out of town. And so you can't get gas anymore. And so there's like panic. Like, well, I don't know what to do. What, where are we going to go? Like, I, we can't eat anymore. Where if we, like, the, the pantry's empty. And so you start heading out on foot to Mexico. Because you think, in Mexico, I think there's food. They may be able to get work there, and so we're going to head out of town, and we're going to try to walk there as a family. That's called being a refugee. That is incredibly difficult times, and that's what they're going through here. They're having to flee their country to go somewhere else. All the while, they were trying to follow God in the past, and they're wondering, why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to me? Because we were trying to follow you, God, and so you can imagine, there's a little bit of an anger happening because because we thought like we thought we were good, and the reality is, is, my life is not going how I wanted it to go. And many of us may be able to relate, not in this like maybe not in the sense of becoming a refugee, but you can um, you can relate in the sense that your life may not have gone in the way that you wanted to go. Things may have happened in your life, a sickness, a death, a job didn't pan out. Whatever it may be, something may have happened in your life where you're like, this is not what I planned, and this is not how I'm wanting it to go. And so you turn, you start to look at God, and you're like, God, this is not, this is not, this is not our deal. I was trying to follow you. I'm trying to be a good person. This is, this is not, like, I'm be, like, this is bad stuff happening to me. And so that's where they're at. But look, look at verse 3. It gets worse. Naomi's husband, a died, and she was left with her two sons. So, she's a refugee in a foreign country, trying to find work, trying to find food. And they get there, and her husband dies. Luckily, she has two sons, though, she can count on, because the reality is, is back then, if you're a woman... You, you, did, like, you were not an income earner. You stayed in the home. You took care of things. The husband or the man in the family was the one who took care of, took care of uh, bringing income in. Like they were the one who brought uh, food in. They were the one who, who brought in money. And they were the one who could make business deals. And so the, the truth is like here she lost her husband, but at least she has her two sons who can grow up and kind of help take care of the family. And so her sons, look at verse 4. Her sons took Moabite women as their wives. One was named Orpah, and the second was Ruth. And after they lived in Moab about ten years, things got worse. Both Malon and Killian also died. And Naomi was left without her two children and without her husband. So her sense of stability that she had when she was in a foreign country, she was like, hey, I've got my son. At least I have my sons here. They can help take care of things. They've, like, they're kind of going to create families. They're going to be the ones to kind of carry on our family line. They're going to create grandkids. Like, I'm going to, they're going to be able to support us. They die. And so the truth is that she went from living in her home country, living around the restaurant she liked, living with her friends around her, the people she grew up with, and now she's living in a foreign country. Her husband has died. Her sons have died. And now she's left alone. You can feel that weight right there, right? Like, you can feel the weight of, like, this is not, this is not how we want. she wanted things to happen. This is not what she wanted to happen, but look, there's an immediate problem for her. Because, look, like, the men were her source of income. And so it's not just now she's sad about her husband dying and sad about her son's dying, which is horrible. Like, that's the worst of it. But there's an immediate problem with this. Look, there's an immediate problem because the men were her source of income. And so now that they're out of the picture, she is looking at a life of begging. She's looking at a life of needing, needing assistance, needing benevolence from different people. Like she is now wholly reliant on someone else being kind to her to provide for her needs. That's what, she, that's what her life is looking like now. So not only did she lose her family, she also lost her future. And this is the introduction to the entire book of Ruth. This is the situation. This is where we're at. And so the truth is that even godly people will endure suffering. Even godly people will go through hard times. And so the question for us is, why does that happen? Why does that happen? Let's look at at how she she responds. Look at verse 6. She and her daughters-in-law set out to return from the territory of Moab, because she heard in Moab that the Lord had paid attention to his people's need by providing them food. And so back in her home country, back in Israel, for us, back in Fort Worth, hey, we think there's food again. Like there's like Chili's is opened back up. And so let's like, let's, like head back up there, okay? And so they're going to head back up there. And she left the place where she had been living, accompanied by her two daughters-in-law, and traveled along the road leading back to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to them, listen. She has, she's like, a close relationship with these women who, like, were with her for 10 years. And they've all experienced grief together. All of, like, their husbands and her sons have died. And so they've, like, all they have is each other here. And she turns to them, and she says this. Each of you go back to your mother's house. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to the dead and to me. May the Lord grant each of you rest in the house of a new husband. And then she kissed them, and then they wept loudly together. What she's telling them is the first argument. She says, listen, I'm going to go back home. But the truth is that when I go back home, if you go back with me, all we're doing is trading places because I'm the foreigner here. But if we go back home, we're trading spots and you're now the foreigner. You're the foreigner without a husband and all you're like, you're going to learn a new language and you have to like beg people there when you have family here. So she's saying don't trade places with me. Go back home. Find a new husband. He can take care of you in ways that I can't. And then they wept together. And both of them, Orpah and Ruth, said, verse 10, we insist on returning with you to your people. Here's the second thing Naomi said to them. She's like, no, listen, Return home, my daughters. Please go back home. Don't come with me because coming with me is, there's no future with me. Please go back home. She's saying, listen, listen, like I, like we were, we are a family, but the reality is, is that my family is gone and I don't want to burden you with this too. And so go back home, my daughters. Why do you want to go with me? And like, am I able to like have more sons? Like who who could become your husbands? Like, Like, even if... Like, return home my daughters uh, for, for going, I'm, like, I'm too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me to have another husband at this point, like, like I'm pretty old, and I, like, I don't know that people are going to want to marry me because I'm just more of a burden for whatever reason right now, but, like, I can't even have kids. Like, but even if I did have a son right now, like, I got married next week, we went on honeymoon, I got pregnant, and, like, we're going to, I'm going to have some sons here. Would you really wait for those men to grow up in order for you to marry them, to try to have a family of your own? Would you restrain yourselves from remarrying? No, my daughters. My life is much too bitter for you to share because the Lord's hand has turned against me. And again, they wept loudly together. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And so Orpah has left. She's heading back home. But look what Naomi says in verse 15. Look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Follow her. That's what she says to Ruth after Orpah left. And you know, Orpah wasn't happy about leaving her, right? Like she loved her. She didn't want to leave. And so the reality is the text does not like, like cast judgment on Orpah for leaving in this situation because it's a terrible situation. But she is there to highlight something about Ruth. I want you to see this. Look at verse 16. But Ruth replied, don't plead with me to abandon you or to return and not follow you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me and do so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. Did you hear that? Like, the, the weight of that, like, the, the faithfulness to Naomi, who's, who's, like, has no future and is, like, destitute. And, they, like, Ruth says, no, I'm sticking with you. I'm not going anywhere. And so Orpah leaves not to, like, to say, oh, man, wasn't she terrible? Like, no, it was a terrible situation. No, she leaves to demonstrate something about Ruth, which is her faithfulness. Her faithfulness in the midst of incredibly difficult times. She's lost her husband. She's lost her future with kids. Like, she's lost all of this, and now she's going to go back to live as a foreigner in a foreign land with different culture, different food, different gods than what she grew up with, but she's going to do it to remain faithful to her mother-in-law. And the highlight here is she says, Listen, your people are going to be my people, and your God is going to be my God. That's, that's the highlight there. So why was Ruth so faithful to Naomi? Like, why was she so faithful to her? We don't know. We don't know. But notice what happens here. Like, like in, 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 in Mo Naomi was the refugee, but now Ruth is going to trade her spots. Ruth is trading places with her. She's going to become the refugee. She's going to become the foreigner. She's going to become the one like who, who's the outsider coming in. And so this passage serves to introduce the key character in this book, which we're going to see starting next week in chapter 2, which is Ruth. What's her main attribute in this book? She is faithful. She's faithful. But for chapter 1, she's not the main character. The main character is Naomi. And so look at verse 18. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped talking to her. It's kind of funny to me. I don't know if she's, like, bitter or what. She's like, fine, whatever. You know, they just kind of walk. They start walking together, whatever. But eventually they make up. And uh, verse 19, and the two of them traveled until they came to Bethlehem. Catch this. I want you to hear this. When they entered Bethlehem, the whole town was excited about their arrival. And all of the local women said, "Can this be Naomi?" So, can this be Naomi? So, this reception's a little awkward, right? So, obviously m- most of you know I have triplet sons. And having triplets at times is a circus act, okay? And so, like, when you when we go to restaurants or something, like, sometimes people are subtle and it's really con- like nice. They're like, hey, they're like they have triplets, but they're not like creating a scene, and we can just like eat. But sometimes we go places with our triplets, and it's a scene, man. It's like 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 sometimes they're all screaming everywhere, and we're just tr- trying, okay? We're trying really hard to like not disturb everyone at Chick Fil A. But other times we go to Chick Fil A, and we're sitting there. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. Last week. We sit down at Chick-fil-A, and every person in Fort Worth recognizes that we have triplets there, okay? When you walk in someone with four or three baby carriers, it's kind of like, hey, guys, we're here, you know? But anyway, so we're there, and we're sitting. And we try to sit out of the way, but sometimes we can't because, you know, there's not tables or whatever. But anyway, so these two women... Like, we're, we're a scene. People are coming up to us, talking to us, making a scene. These two women come and sit right next to us and then turn their chairs to face us and watch for our entire meal. Over 30 minutes. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. For 30 minutes, I'm sitting there like, they're still, they're still there, like staring. Okay, it's awkward. okay. And the truth is that, like, 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 it's just kids. It's my kids, okay? It's my family. Like, yes, it's fun. It's crazy. They're still my kids. They're not a circus act. But the truth is that Ruth and Naomi are walking into a small village where everyone knew Naomi from the moment she was born. They knew everything about her, knew everything about her, her family. And all of a sudden, she's walking back into town over a decade older without any kids Without any husband, she's looking more raggedy, and all of a sudden all the women in town are a buzz about it, and they're like, Did you see Naomi? The entire town is talking about this woman who just walked back into town. Just the welcome wagons there for her. <laughs> It's kind of awkward. It's really awkward when you're the person everyone's staring at and talking about and whispering about. And that's her life now. That's her life but I want you to see her response. Look at verse 20. She's like, fine, everyone's looking at me. We're going to address this. (laughs) Don't call me Naomi. I didn't tell you what their names meant, okay? Her name means pleasant. Naomi means pleasant. Elimelech means my God is king. The two sons are kind of funny, okay? Killian means sickly. And Malon means weak. So I don't know what they're going for with that. But, uh, but her name, Naomi's name, <laughs> Naomi's name, Naomi's name, <laughs> sorry, it's funny. Naomi's name means pleasant. And so she's walking back into town, and she's like, listen, don't you call me pleasant anymore. Call me Mara, which means bitter. Don't call me pleasant. Call me bitter. Why? Because the almighty it's not god anymore it's like it's not yahweh the god she knew like that she like followed it's not him anymore it's simply this strong one who's out there who's distant from me who's away from me who's just got his hand on me doesn't like me anymore the almighty he has made me very bitter i went away full but the lord has brought me back empty why do you call me pleasant why do you call me naomi Since the Lord has opposed me, and the Almighty afflicted me. I like how the message says this, okay? Uh, The message translation, the reality is it gets a bad rap by some people, but the truth is that it's actually really helpful in understanding the Bible sometimes. And here's what it says. It says, why do you call me pleasant? Why do you call me Naomi? God doesn't. God has ruined me. you catch that? Like that's what she, like that's her relationship with God now. And so she, like she had this life where things were going well, she had kids, she had a future, but now is all ripped away from her and life has not gone how she thought it would go. And so the truth is that she's moved God from being this personal, like relationship that she had, like this, like this God that she wanted to follow to being this, this distant guy who's out there that she's pretty bitter at because he's ruined her life. Because the truth is that, where is this God that she's followed all of her life? Like, listen, like she feels forgotten, and understandably so. This is incredibly difficult. I've never lost my whole family. I've never had to flee a country. But she has. And so she feels like maybe she's forgotten at best. Or at worst, God hates her or doesn't care about her. And so look at her emotions here. What emotions is she feeling or demonstrating? Anger and bitterness. Anger and bitterness. And this is incredibly common for people who go through difficult things. Because when, when my sons, and I'm not, not everything's about me, but like when my sons uh, were younger, they're about six months now, but when they were younger, like uh, back in January, December, January, uh, um, when they were born November 1st, we actually had over 75 days in which one of them was in an ICU. And, uh, and the worst moment of all that for me was when we were up here for Christmas vacation when we were still living down in Houston area. Um, my son, my third one, uh, Barrett, he, uh, was, he was the last one to be in the ICU for a thing called RSV. And, uh, and so he had this, they, they had this, what happens is, when, it's basically a cold. And what happens to babies when they have RSV is they stop breathing. And, uh, and so uh, eventually he had to be intubated. He had to be on a, a breathing machine. And so what happens is they, they basically put a straw down into his lungs, and they have a, a machine work as his lungs, like it breathes for him. And, uh, and he had to have that. And so one day, we were so happy because they'd, be, they'd been able to uh, turn the machine off, and he was still uh, breathing really well, and so they took it out. And it was about, out for about two hours. Um, and he was still kind of having trouble, and uh, his throat was swelling. And, uh, and so I was there with him. Darrell wasn't there, and I was just there with him, and I was just watching him, like, kind of chug along, do okay. And all of a sudden, in a matter of about five minutes, he has this downturn, and he, like, turns completely purple, and he's just on the, like, on the bed. He's completely limp. All of a sudden, everyone starts rushing in the room. Like, that, like I'm just sitting here, like, what's going on? What's going on? Like, like please, please do not intubate him again. Like, let's figure something out. Please do anything else. Like, I'm like begging the doctors, do not do this again. And they come in there and they grab, like, no, we, we don't have a choice. And they just like, like turn him to the side and they start turning his head, like, stick the, the thing down into his lungs again. And I'm just sitting there watching this. And I'm just like, I'm getting so mad because this is happening again. Because we just got it out two hours ago. Like, he had been on it for a week, and he's off of it. And now he's going to be back on it again. And so I start freaking out, and I go sit in the back, and I'm just, like, burying my head in my hands. I'm like, I I just do not want this to happen anymore. And all that's coming out of me right now is just anger, like anger at the doctors for doing this to him. (laughs) Like Like, they're saving him. But in the moment, I'm like, you're doing this to him. Like, stop. But the truth is that, what is the real emotion that's behind that? Like, what's really happening there? For Naomi here, she's lost her entire family. And it's coming out, what's coming out of her is anger and bitterness. But if you think about it, what's really there? Grief. Grief is what's there. Grief is what's causing this anger, Grief about what's happened in her past. Grief for me about what's happening to my son right in front of my eyes. And grief for you about what's happened in your past that you can't get rid of. What's happened is you're incredibly sad about it, and that's bearing itself out in anger and bitterness towards God. That's what's happening. And so if you're sitting here angry, with God, bitter towards God about what's happening or what has happened in your life, maybe what's going on is you're actually just really sad. Maybe you're really sad, and that's a, that's okay, and it's a good thing to recognize that because God can deal with that. He has. Look at First Thessalonians four thirteen with me. It says this: We do not. And he's talking to talking to people who've had loved ones die. He says, listen, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, concerning those who are asleep. That means who have died. So that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. What he's saying is there is a real grief that happens in our lives. Like very real felt grief, sadness over suffering and bad times. Now life has not gone the way that we want it to go. But he's saying, but listen, don't grieve like those who have no hope. What he's saying is, Yes, grieve, but do it like those who have hope. And so what he's saying is, Jesus is the answer. So Jesus is the answer for your grief, for your anger towards God, to your bitterness towards God, towards my anger and bitterness towards God. Like in that moment, like when I'm feeling this intense grief, Jesus is the answer. Because he is the one who provides hope for a future without suffering, without tears, without sicknesses, without death. Jesus is the one who provides that for us. When he resurrected from the dead, what he, said, what he, what he showed us is that we too who believe in him will resurrect from the dead into a, into a hope, into a future like he has. And so the answer to your suffering is not to turn away from God or run away from God and become bitter. It's to, be, it's to turn and hold fast to Jesus because in Him is where we find hope for a life without suffering, for a life with a future, for a life that, that can go the way that we want it to go, which is to be at just a peace. John Piper says this really well. He says this. Occasionally, Weep deeply over the life that you hoped would be. Grieve the losses. Feel the pain. Then wash your face. Trust God. And embrace the life that He's given you. And that's powerful. And so if this is you, it's easy to want to, like, back away from church, back away from God, because this is not going the way, like, you, you, like one, like, you don't want to answer to people when, like, when they ask, like, how's stuff going? You just, like, you don't want to have to talk about it. Like, like how, like, this horrible thing is happening. This cancer is here. This death is here. Or this sickness is here. This money problem is here. Whatever it may be, like, you, like, it's easy to back away from church and from God, because you don't want to have to talk about it to people or, like, act like anything is not other than fine. Right? Number two, like, your bitterness, like, like, can turn you towards God and it's to His church, and you begin to disengage uh, from many other areas in your life because you just become apathetic. It could be your anger is coming out, and you become bitter towards God, or it could just be, I don't even care anymore. What's the point? God doesn't love me, so what's it matter? But if this is you, rev- resist this urge. Resist it. Because... Before we fully unite with Christ in His second coming, and we have a resurrection like His, and every uh, tear is wiped away, I want you to hear this: the church is the main source of grace, or a main source of grace that God has given to us in the middle of walking through hard times. Church, like like our church, is one of the main sources of grace that God has given to you in order to walk through hard times. Like, people, like, here to, like, pray with you and be with you and walk with you and share your burdens. Like, like this, like, being here is one of the main sources of grace. But when you become bitter and you start to back away and say, no, that's not for me, you are cutting that out of your life. You're cutting out one of the main sources of grace that God wants to give to you. Other people. Other people. But I want you to see this about Ruth. Ruth. Because she started to do that, right? What happened when she started experiencing all this grief? What did she tell her, her daughters-in-law to do? Why don't you all go away from me? Part of this is care for them, wanting them to have a future. But part of it also may be, a, I'm just wanting to draw away and be by myself and get away from people. But look what her anger and her bitterness is causing her to do. It's causing her to overlook two sources of grace in her life. It's causing her to overlook, because what does she say? It's like, listen, don't call me pleasant anymore. Call me bitter, because God has, like, hates me and doesn't care about me anymore. Look what it's causing her to overlook. This precious woman named Ruth, who has devoted herself to be with her. It's causing her to overlook that. Now, I'm not saying that fixes the problem. But the second thing is subtle. I want you to see this. look Look at verse 22. So Naomi came back from the territory of Moab with her daughter in law Ruth, the Moabitess. And they arrived, catch this, in Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Now, typically when you read that, you just kind of, okay, whatever, and you kind of move on to the next thing. I want to show you that is incredibly significant because what's happening here is there's like the author of the book of Ruth is weaving in through this story how God is working behind the scenes to care for Naomi and care for Ruth in ways that she never could have seen while she's walking through it. Because what happens here is she comes back at the perfect time to go and find food, to find resources, because there's a harvest happening. And there was a law in Leviticus that said, hey, listen, as you're, as you're harvesting your field, leave the outer edges so that way people who are needy can come by and find food. So the first source is God is already providing that and that she's coming back at the right time. But the second thing is this. She's coming back at the right time to meet the right people who will give them a future and a hope. And she can't see that here. She can't see that here, but what we're going to see throughout the rest of the book of Ruth is how God is weaving his hand throughout her history, throughout her story, to bring her to a point to where she is restored and has a future and has a hope. That's what he's doing here. That's what he's doing, and her, and her bitterness is, is, is not an allowing her to see this at this time. And so the question of why do bad things happen to good people, That we don't know. That's a bad answer, but we don't know. Like, like, why do bad things happen to you? We don't know. I don't know why God allows suffering to happen. But I do know that it's not because he doesn't care. I do know that's not the answer. Because what he's demonstrating here for Ruth and for all of us to understand is that he is there with her working ways that she can't fully see yet to bring this about to a conclusion in your life. I want you to see that. God cares deeply about what you're going through. You may not see how he's working, but he is. He is. And lastly, I want you to see this. We said this earlier. But why was Ruth so faithful to her mother-in-law? Again, I don't know. We don't know. But it's important for us to remember that Naomi wasn't the only person who lost someone here. Naomi wasn't the only person to lose a family member. Ruth lost her husband. And with that, she is also facing the same future as Naomi. Of destitution, of needing handouts, of not having kids. Yet look what she did. She became more faithful in that moment. And look what she found. Holding fast to God and holding fast to the community she had, like, she had Naomi. Like, she gained more family there. Like, she has her family there. It's like, she, she pressed in and demonstrated her faithfulness through this. And what we're going to see through the rest of the book is how God honored that. How God honored that through the rest of her life. And so may she serve for all of us here who suffer in this world. May she serve as a bright example for us of what it looks like to suffer well and be committed to God and follow him in the midst of incredibly hard times. And so let's pray. Then we'll move on. So Father, we come before you. We thank you. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the book of Ruth, in which we get to introduce today and to see how you are working in the world in ways that we don't expect and when incredibly difficult times come for us. When suffering comes, when, God, when hard times come, I pray. God, that you would, you would, like, speak this book to us to remind us that you are there and that you care about us. And as suffering comes, and we don't know why you allow it to happen, but it's not because you don't care. And I pray that you would make that real for us today. And it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.